0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever you're watching us, everyone. Uh, This is Brian Newbert uh, of GoldenBlack.com here with our Saturday simulcast. Alan Karpik is unavoidably detained, so I'm going to drive this car right off the interstate um, here for the next, hopefully, two or three minutes. Um, My colleague, Tom Deanhart, working remotely today, um, (laughs) has joined me. Thank you to our, our sponsor, the Purdue Indian Club Hotel, home of the Boiler Up Bar and the 811 Bistro. Tom, I understand you're going to have, be having an appearance there, an autograph signing. Do you know when that is?
1: That will be Wednesday, the day before the Boilers kick off the season. It's what, August 31st at the Memorial Union, um, 7 p.m. And, uh, yeah, that Boiler Up Bar, it's called about, uh, I guess, Facebook Live at uh, that same venue. So, yeah, just, what, less than a week away, people can come up and buy coffee, bourbon, whatever your taste is, and catch a little bit of uh, Boilermaker football talk as we sit on. At that point, is going to be uh, the literal doorstep of the season.
0: Mm-hmm. I was joking about the autograph signing part, everyone. Um, <laughs> we have all, We all forgot how to write our names years ago. Um. So, Tom already mentioned that that will be the night before the, the Thursday night season opener against Penn State. Tom, put this into perspective for me. Uh, give us some context on this game, how important it is for Purdue, the magnitude of not only the game, but the event.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot's already been speculated and written and uh, and spoken about this opener, Brian. And, you know, one game, one chance to of- but it has to it has potentially be a great table setter for Purdue, obviously. Um, we all like to peek ahead at the schedule to see what's next, right? And um, if Purdue can get by a, a plucky Penn State team here, Brian, there's a good chance it could open 4-0. and And then comes a make or break October, in my mind, um, the month that probably will define Purdue's season. You go at Minnesota, You go uh, at Maryland, home Nebraska, at Wisconsin, then you're off, then you begin November, which is a pretty manageable schedule too. So not to get way ahead of myself, back to the opener though. Um, Yeah, just perfect circumstance for Purdue, right? We know about the returning talent. We know about the expectations. National television, primetime game, blackout. Penn State team that's just gone 11 and 11 composite the last two years. Uh, again, a great opportunity for Purdue to be a name brand team on national television to serve as a heck of a spark to what could be a fast start to a season that holds a lot of great expectations for people. So it uh, should be a great evening, Brian. And later this week, I'm going to have a story up that sort of looks at, at least in my mind, what have been some more memorable season openers for Purdue since the 2000 season? Be Kind of fun for you to share some of your thoughts to what some of those that you think have been since the 2000 season, Brian, as an example, I've had like the Louisville game in 2017, even though it was a loss. Yeah. Uh, Syracuse came in 2004 were a couple that I had on my list.
0: That Louisville game did kind of set a tone for the whole, the whole, uh, um, I guess resurgence of Purdue football to come because that was a a game where Purdue was really overmatched. Um, and Louisville was very good back then. And obviously Lamar Jackson, um, was one of college basketball, college football's biggest stars. And I think Purdue really competed that day and really showed itself, Hey, we belong on the field with, with teams like this. And I think that really set the tone for some of the big wins that followed. Um, so that certainly comes to mind. I thought Tim Newton had a really uh, – the venerable Tim Newton had a really, whether intended or not, uh, wicked subtweet of the Daryl Hazel era on the on the Jeff Brom show the other day when he asked Jeff Brom about not putting all the eggs in one basket for one game in terms of – that's obviously a, a callback to the opener of Marshall years ago when um, Daryl Hazel famously – did in fact put all those eggs in one basket when they went to Marshall and the first pass of the game was intercepted and returned for a touchdown, (laughs) also setting the tone for what was to come. Um, But I think that when you look at this opener, um, you know, win or lose, you know, I think an opponent like this right off the bat helps you. This maybe is the most talented team Purdue will face all season, um, prior to any sort of postseason play at least. Um, but if you get this one, you know, there haven't been many big 10 schedules, uh, in my frame of reference where you're only looking at one ranked team on the whole schedule in the preseason. Now, that doesn't mean five of these teams won't be ranked in the final preseason or in the final, it wouldn't be a preseason poll at the end of the season, would it <laughs> just, just because only one team on Purdue schedules ranked in the preseason, that doesn't mean five or six won't be ranked at the end of the season but still just when you look at that for whatever that's worth that tells you that you know there's never an easy big 10 schedule there's never an easy big 10 schedule but some are more manageable than others and this seems like one where you can be set up for some success and if you get past this one in an environment where your program has thrived uh playing at night in a in a showcase sort of game on your home field um reminiscent of Ohio State in 2018 reminiscent of um, Michigan was Michigan State a night game last year? Uh, yeah,
1: I th- I'm, I'm not sure. I think maybe a 3:30 one, Brian. Maybe a 3:30 kick. I believe local. Well,
0: when it's dark out at the end of the game, I consider that a night game. Um, so we'll just go with it. Um, this could be really a a big time springboard uh, if you're able to win this game, similar to what Purdue, how Purdue felt about the 2018 Northwestern game. A very yeah. similar set of circumstances here. Obviously, Purdue could not get that one um it did not stop it from going on to have a pretty memorable season obviously that set a tone as well because rondell moore went absolutely crazy in that game and um that led to a lot of exciting things both for the team and for rondell moore to come um but this would be an enormous win for purdue this would be an enormous win for purdue um for sure tom for them to win on thursday night but then to also go on to build on that and have the sort of season they want to have, what are a couple of things that come to mind to you that absolutely have to happen? Non-negotiable type of stuff. Keys. (laughs) We love our keys. We love to jingle our keys. What are the keys?
1: I think we've talked about this before. Even written it, just the health of Aiden O'Connell, right? If there is one truly non-negotiable aspect to success this year, it's keeping Aiden O'Connell healthy, right? And, uh, no offense to Austin Burton or any of the other quarterbacks, but Aiden O'Connell is the guy that Purdue's got a ride this year. Um, hopefully averaging 30 plus points a game. He's got to elevate everybody's play too. I'm not saying he's Drew Brees, but yeah. sort of like Drew Brees did in 2000. If you look back at that receiving core, Brian, as you know, was not filled with star studded players. I argue Brian O'Connell's receivers are much better than the group that Brees probably worked with in 2000. Um, so, yeah, I think that's number one. you got to keep AOC healthy, right? So you have to learn how to be able to run the ball at least effectively in, in, in those tough down and distance situations. You don't have to average 100 yards rushing a the game, but you have to be effective enough, especially in the red zone. Everybody in the stadium knows you, knows you need one yard mm-hmm. to be able to get that one yard some way, somehow. And I think defensively, you know, it's, it's I think it's probably just getting that pass rush, right? I like the defense from front to back. I don't think there's a glaring weakness. If there is a weak unit, I think, it, or at least a less desirable unit, I should say, it's probably the linebacking core. I think the second could be very solid if they get healthy, but they can't cover all day, Brian. We know that. They need a pass rush, and who are going to be those somebodies that can try to at least replicate to some to some degree what George Office was able to do the last three seasons? So I think those are – are, are, are some big ones. And you know what, Brian, there is one giant X factor this year that that I think could really end up being maybe a guy who wins a game or two for Purdue by himself, and that's Charlie Jones. Maybe maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too much, but I think Charlie Jones is going to be one of the more electric corner makers we've seen in recent years. I think he's awfully motivated, Brian. This is his last year, sixth year for senior. And... Uh, <coughs> He can change a game for you on offense and special teams. And it's going to be a lot of fun watching him put his heels on the 10-yard line, field punts, and head up field, Brian. He's not going to fair catch the ball. It's going to be a lot of fun to have a guy like that. We saw Rondell Moore like that a little bit in 2018. And Charlie Jones is every bit as good as Rondell Moore when it comes to running back punts and kickoffs. So. And then catching the ball, too. Some people have told me, Brian, that they think, Jones is the number one receiver on the team uh, over Brock Thompson, over T.J. Wow. Schifffield and those type of guys. And Tyrone Tracy is Iowa transfer teammate. So uh, this is a guy that could be a real – a very electric talent who could be a real difference maker and a game changer for Purdue this fall.
0: That's quite a reflection of the times we live in now in college football that we're talking about a guy Purdue added in, what, July? Yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I know. Um uh, Those are very good keys, Tom. Thank you. You know how I love my keys. <laughs> Give me keys. Um, I, that first key you mentioned uh, about Aiden O'Connell's health. Health is a big deal in football, obviously, no matter what level you're playing at. Purdue seems to be in a little bit of a uh, compromising position here coming out <laughs> of camp. Would you agree with that? Jeff yeah. Brom didn't seem thrilled about how mm. – there were still a good number of guys sidelined um, as of that second scrimmage. Obviously, we're, everybody's going to be holding their breath about guys like Brock Thompson who might as well be driving around in a motorized cart in the bowl game and still got like 200 yards or whatever he got. Mm-hmm. Um, how concerned should you be about the state of the medical uh, tent right now?
1: I think uh, not overly concerned. I think I think the key guys will be there guys on Thursday night, Um, Brock Thompson in particular. I think also, maybe just as importantly, the two cornerbacks, Corey Trice and Jamari Brown. All three of those guys, Brian, have really been handled with prudence, if you will, in August for fear of just keeping them healthy. Now, maybe their return has been a little too too slow for, for some people's liking, but Hey, man, there's no rush, and they cannot risk getting these guys hurt in camp. You have to have them ready for, for game day. And I think those three guys in particular will be there. You know, we saw Jalen Graham and Branson Dean have hamstring issues a week or two ago. I think they're going to be fine. T.J. Sheffield missed last week's scrimmage. I think he's going to be fine as well. And uh, so long story short, I think health-wise, um, the team should be A-OK. You know, I'm hoping – we're going to get a chance. We, we'll talk to Jeff Rom on Monday. He's going to have his first press conference, so I'm sure that question will come up, and maybe we'll talk to Jeff again on Tuesday. I'm not sure. It's such a weird week not being a Saturday game, but we know for sure we're getting him one time this week, Brian, and I'm sure we're getting
0: an update health-wise on some of these key guys. Lots of gamblers probably waiting on that information <laughs> nowadays. Um so Purdue's waiting on this, uh, Kendrick Gilbert fellow, uh, from Indianapolis Cathedral. Uh, I went and saw him play last week. He said his mind was made up. Uh, mm. he was waiting on his means of announcement to be finalized. I believe that to be a podcast he was doing with someone from Cathedral high school. I'm not sure what the delay is here. Um, but, uh, we'd expect something from him any minute now, uh, any day now, whatever it might be, he would be a really big, uh, Add for Purdue, even though Purdue's already got a really good defensive line class committed, uh, it's kind of one of those gravy sorts of situations where you're adding another really good player to what is now the strength of your recruiting class in terms of the defensive linemen, uh, you know, Purdue has committed. Um, Tom, you got anything to add there? I kind of just lost track of that. I wrote down Kendrick Gilbert here. So I just started talking about Kendrick Gilbert, and I guess that wasn't yeah. the most interactive topic
1: no, I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm, a, I'm amazed, Brian. When you look at the four defensive linemen, Mark Hagan and that staff, brought in last year with J.P. Dieter, Moa Mata- man, Nick Carraway, uh, and Joe Strickland, right? Joe Strickland was supposed to be the, the gem of that crew. And then this year, to back it up, you know, you're talking about what Drake Carlson, you're talking about Sh- uh, Shadi Clements, right? Will Helt. And now maybe Kendrick Gilbert. So you're talking about a pretty high-quality defensive lineman potentially within the last two classes. So, boy, oh, to be strong at that spot, that's one of the hardest spots. You know, Brian, you've been doing this 20 over 20 years. The hard is to get good defensive linemen and good defensive lines, period. And produce certainly as the foundation for a nice front You're moving forward for several years. We all know, of course, everything can be tenuous with, with the transfer portal, but still – uh, where we stand right now, things are pretty good. Uh, you know, hey, Brian. Real quick, too. Uh, I posted something today on Jeff Brom's legacy and uh, where I think that stands at this point, five years, and what he's meant to the program. I, I think people would love to know what you think. Five years into the Jeff Brom era, what he's meant to Purdue football from a historical historical perspective, Brian. I think about what would happen if Jeff Rom would have been a flop. You were, you're so kind. You knew where this program at that point when he walked on campus. You knew how important it was for that football program to get going, and Jeff Rom was delivered. I don't think I overstated things too much by saying he's already secured himself a pretty safe spot in Purdue's least recent legacy.
0: I'm sorry, I kind of lost you there for a second. I, I yeah, got I mean, enough of what you said to be able to meander my way through some response. I think his his place, and I, I, obviously the whole story is not written yet, we'll see um, You know how much longer he has at Purdue, all of that stuff. We'll see ultimately where everything goes from here, but through the first few years of this, I think his place in history, obviously the record isn't mind-blowing, but context really matters uh to that because of the state of the program prior to his arrival um i think to this point his place in purdue history is the guy who sort of reinvigorated things uh you know you haven't won the big 10 anything like that you you haven't gone to the rose bowl you haven't you know done this 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 or this but is anyone ever going to forget the ohio state game is anyone ever going to forget the win at Iowa this year is anyone ever going to forget the Michigan State game at Purdue? Um, he, he's just created so many memories. The Music City Bowl being another one, the Foster Farms Bowl years ago being another one. I think that he's breathed breathed life in, into Purdue football again, and given you know people reason to believe for be- for lack of a better term, he has um, he lifted that shroud of gloom and doom. Uh, very quickly. But also, I want to add, too, that Jeff Brom wasn't possible without the commitment Purdue finally made to football after they basically were shamed into it, uh, you know, by the Daryl Hazel era. Um, I think Purdue really invested in football. Um, they, you know, uh, started spending money to make money. Obviously, they they put up a really nice facility. Um, they opened up the checkbook a little bit to pay the going rate for a really good coach. And they, they've done that more than once as well to keep that really good coach. Um, I think that's a big part of this story too, is that Purdue, you know, really committed itself to football success uh, after the Daryl Hazel era. And that's mattered too. And that sort of commitment will transcend, you know, whoever the head coach happens to be at the time. So I think this is sort of a, this is sort of a dual story, so to speak, in terms of both what Jeff Brown's been able to do with Purdue, but also the setup for success that Purdue, you know, really kind of finally put in place because before Purdue thought it was investing in football and it wasn't really investing in football. It was investing more than it had, but it still wasn't investing in football. That went all the way to the top of the university Um and I always said about the Morgan Burke era was that if university leadership wanted it differently, things would have been differently. Things would have been different. Um, But, uh, you know, I think Mike Berghoff and the trustees really drove change um, after Daryl Hazel, uh, you know, failed when it was clear he was going to fail. And, uh, you know, they brought in a, an AD who was able to, to go get a really good coach, he knew who we wanted right away. He targeted that guy. He got that guy. That guy worked. So you know, Mike Babinski deserves a lot of credit here too. So that's kind of where this goes. We'll see. You know, um, where things ultimately go with Jeff Brom and Purdue. But to this point in time, he just breathed life back into the program. I think that's kind of his place in the in the story of Purdue football. What else we got?
1: No, yeah, he's wondering what if. What if he's lost? Long-
0: oh if he flopped then it would have been uh Athletic. it would have been cataclysmic uh, because they yeah, invested the so much in him Brian. i'm sorry you're frozen uh we're both talking at once i believe hopefully when i post this your audio comes through right now i'm talking to a uh statue so um uh, So, yeah, had he been a flop, had this not worked, it would have been cataclysmic because that w- it would have been three or four more lost years of Purdue football, three or four more years of disenchanted fans. You would have, you know, continued losing money. And had you been losing money in football heading into a pandemic, you know, that's not a jackpot anybody would have wanted to be in. Uh, you know, Purdue was fortunate. In my opinion, uh, obviously, some skill was involved in terms of how they handled it, but Purdue got off relatively easy financially uh, during COVID. Uh, you know, from from a dollars and cents perspective, part of that is the fact that you weren't losing money on football. Had you been losing money in football and gotten in that position, you know, things would have been pretty dicey here. Um, but had Jeff Brom flopped, Jeff Brom would probably already be gone. Um, you'd be paying. A buyout of some kind. It would not be a small buyout uh, because that first contract was fairly generous. Um, but that's probably not a hypothetical anybody at Purdue would want to have entertained. Uh, you know, Jeff Brom did not flop. Jeff Brom has been a success at Purdue, and Purdue desperately needed him to be. So, hey, I you think. Look
1: that, at, you look at the accomplishments. You got me. Yeah. Yeah. You I mean you look at the accomplishments, Brian? On um, the rank for the first time since 2007. You know, three NFL picks last year for the first time. What since I think it was 2008. Produced first first round draft pick since 2011. You know, the two bowl wins, three bowl trips in, in five years. Uh, just just been a, I guess a pretty nice laundry list of accomplishments just in five years for for Jeff Brom.
0: Yeah, and we can talk to. A- we can talk about a lot of the callbacks to produce history too. You know, the, the major upsets, you know, they used to call Purdue the spoiler yeah. makers because they, because, because they pulled huge upsets, Notre Dame, uh, namely. Um, but also the, the quarterback history of the school, you know, produce, you know, been throwing the ball everywhere, um, for a couple of years now, that's a big part of Purdue's historical identity. um, it's just been a good fit. It's just been a good fit in a number of ways. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Purdue would like to see, uh, this year be the best year. Um, and that's coming off a nine win season last year. Um, but obviously a lot of things have been really good and really memorable, about the Jeff Brom here at Purdue, Mm -hmm. um, this season starting Thursday night, you know, um, it's a golden opportunity to add more uh, to it and to really bring things to another level uh, based off the schedule and based off the fact that you've got your six-year quarterback, you've got enough pieces in place to be very, very competitive, I think. And uh, we'll kind of see how it plays out. It's going to be really interesting, you know, starting Thursday night against Penn state. And um, you will be talking to the people uh, the night before at the Purdue club hotel. Yeah. for your, I guess we're going to call it Wednesday night live. It's been Thursday night live in the past. Now it's going to be, I guess, Wednesday. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and, and wrap this up because we probably meandered a little bit longer than we needed to. Thank you to the Pre club hotel for all your support home of the boiler up bar and the Eight Eleven bistro. Please check them out. Um, when you're in town f- for football games, that's the place to be. Let me tell you, um, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Uh, your internet connection, maybe not so much, but thanks so much. <laughs> and uh, we'll be talking to you guys after the uh, after the game Thursday night, whether that's right away Thursday night or sometime Friday, sometime Saturday, whatever it might be, you'll be hearing from us. So thanks, everybody. If you like this, like and subscribe. Thank you.
1: All right, bye-bye. All right, Brian.
0: Oops.